You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. This is your championship weekend preview, a look back at uh, the divisional round, what was. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the coaching carousel, pick some games. Uh, Alex will, and we'll see if he picks some games. Kind of licking his wounds a little bit after this past weekend. Alex, uh, I don't know, how are you feeling about those those games? Uh, The picks were absolutely atrocious. I mean, I I went 0-4. Um, anybody that that's going with my picks, they, they should listen to Lou a little bit more. I'm doing this for fun. That's it. I'm definitely not taking my game to Vegas. I'm not betting my life savings. I'm just not good at it. Lou, I'll reach out to Lou come basketball tournament time. You know, we'll, uh, I'll reach out to my expert. I'll let him pick some games for me, but for now, we're, We'll still be going strong, so we'll, we'll pick them for everybody. I'm embarrassed, <laughs> and so I, I got to bounce back. That was a really tough week for me, but I know that Lou went 3-1, and one, so congratulations. Yeah, so we got back up uh, over 500 now. We'll, we'll we'll talk about our picks for the weekend, but uh, back up over 500, 38 and 36 for the season. So that's always good. You want to be <laughs> above <laughs> above that. Well, you want to hit at least. I think it, it's 52 and a half percent to break even because of the juice you pay when you when you bet these games. But uh, yeah, I I'll, I'll take it every day of the week, and uh, yeah, we'll hit those at the end of the show. But looking back at this past weekend's games, we'll just start out with Saturday and the Baltimore-Houston game. And, you know, I guess when you're watching it, you got a sense that the first half it it was going to be a game or or maybe it looked like it could be because – Again, Baltimore, which has been their history with Lamar, is very slow starts. It was the first time uh, they scored any points in the first quarter of him starting a playoff game. They kicked a field goal. So that was progress for them. Now, Houston got that punt return, which was huge. And I'm sure Coach Harbaugh, you know, being the former special teams coach, you know, Philly, and I'm sure he takes a big hand in the special teams there in Baltimore. It had to drive him absolutely crazy. But it looked like it was a game. But then after the fact, it was like Houston was really never in it. They never really threatened to score with the ball in their hands on offense. The Baltimore defense just kind of stifled them. They really never figured out, really never got into a rhythm. And then in the second half, I think Lamar just kind of, I don't know if he had to, you know, needed that second wind. Maybe he had to have you know, a harsh talking to, to his guys. And it sounded like that's what happened at, at half. And they just came out and rolled. So uh, it was just a, just a classic, at least this year's version of Baltimore Ravens. That was just, that's kind of their season, their game in a nutshell, a little bit of a slow start, kind of get their bearings and then they just crush you. Well, yeah, like you mentioned, they just clicked in the second half, uh, especially on offense. They made some big plays downfield, and it looked like the Texans had no answer for Lamar Jackson when he decided to pull the ball and run with the football. They were just giving up huge run plays to him over and over again. It just like... It just looked easy in the second half. In the first half, I agree with you. There seemed to be some hope that the Texans stayed around. You know, they were close. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was the Texans blitzed. They tried to get home, but they weren't able to get to Lamar Jackson. They weren't able to threaten him. That offensive line gave Lamar a clean pocket. And I think that was the difference in the game. You could talk about their defense. You can talk about their offense clicking in the second half. But the offensive line played its part and just gave Lamar Jackson all the time in the world to to throw the football or run with it. So uh, I think that was the difference in the game. I'm not sure it's going to be that easy against Kansas City. And there's no way that 
the Ravens can afford to get off to a slow start again in the first half. I mean, they, they definitely have to be ready from the opening tip. But um, in the second half, I mean, the Texans weren't close. They weren't able to to threaten Baltimore at all. Yeah, just choked, choked them off. Uh, really wasn't anything happening, like I said, when they had the ball in their hands. And yeah, like you said, Lamar took over 100 yards rushing. It wasn't like... You know, if you don't watch these games and you fall into this trap that a lot of people have because of, you know, how massive fantasy football has gotten and you just read box scores and you look at numbers and say, oh, geez, you know, Lamar, you know, 100 yards rush or whatever. And you're figuring out how many fantasy points. Bottom line, he was the best player on the field and he dominated that game. He took that game over. So it's not always about you know, specific numbers and how many fantasy points he puts up. He physically dominated that game and they weren't, the other team was not going to win. They never had a chance. And now of course you give a lot of, a ton of credit to that defense. Mike McDonald's defense has just been lights out for a while now during the course of this season. And that's why, you know, at such a young age, he's getting, you know, a lot of head coaching looks and uh, we'll hit on that later too. But uh, yeah, just the dominating performance. Okay, San Francisco in the evening. I'll give you the floor here, Alex. I mean, your your team, what what did you see? What did you like? What did you think was uh, concerning moving forward? Well, the first thing that I want to just give my respect to the Packers. They have earned it, okay? They did themselves proud. They had the 49ers on the ropes for the entire game. And the fruit the like the future is bright in Green Bay. No question about it. I've been not giving any respect to Jordan Love or these young Packers at all, but the way they played uh, defensively, especially the way they hunt around, it's just you know this game came down to the wire, and you know we're lucky. I'm saying we, the 49ers are lucky to win that game because I mean it came down to a kick, and if if their kicker Carlson nails it. It would have been going into overtime, and then all bets are off. You you don't know what's going to happen there. But the one thing that killed the Packers, I believe, it's it's just those red zone opportunities. Uh, they had three red zone opportunities in the first half, and they came away with only six points. The 49ers held them in the red zone. That's That was probably the difference in the game early because Green Bay was playing better than San Francisco was. And then in the first quarter, the fourth and one stop on the QB sneak by Jordan Love, we also stopped them. That was a huge play. So it's almost like the Packers were driving, but when it mattered the most, when they had a chance to, you know, put seven points on the board, we held, we stopped them. And and that was really huge. And then, you know, some of the defensive players came up big. Obviously, Greenlaw, had the two picks, right? He had one, you know, in the third quarter, and then he sealed it at the end of the game as well. I also felt like Jordan Love missed a few easy throws. On third downs, you know, like, I felt like in the second half, he kind of pressed it. Something that we didn't see from him before, but I felt like he missed a couple of easy throws. And what I like is that, let's talk about the 49ers. What I like about San Francisco is that they were able to come back, Lou. That's so important. This team, all year long, has played as the front runner, right? They, they get out to an early lead. They score the points. like They get to like 7 or 10 points in the beginning, and then they just hold serve. Their defense comes to bat, and they just blow people out. Kyle Shanahan was 0-30 when trailing by 7 or more points entering the fourth quarter. Obviously, we were able to come back. Huge confidence booster just for the team as a whole. I also like the fact that when Debo went down, and he went down early, we don't know if he's going to play, you know, 50-50 chance that he plays. And even if he plays, he's probably going to be more of a decoy. I like the fact that Jennings stepped up big in this game. We needed some other wide receivers to step up, and the Tennessee alum stepped up in this game. Another thing that bothered me is Brock Purdy struggled, man. I mean, 
He stepped up on the final drive, no question about it. Six out of seven, he picked up a key first downs with his feet, but he struggled in the rain, all right? And, you know, there were he missed a lot of easy throws, I felt. Uh, and he never was in rhythm. And that was really troubling because you're playing against the Packers defense. I mean, maybe they confused him a little bit, but that wasn't the case. I just felt like, he kind of he didn't have a good game at all, and we were lucky to kind of escape. But when it mattered the most, Purdy came up big. So it was kind of a mixed bag for me, Lo. I felt like we were able to we would be able to run the ball a lot more successfully, and we weren't. I felt like Purdy was going to pick this defense apart of those play action passes, and he didn't. So my hat, like I I take my hat off to the Green Bay Packers. They get my respect. That was a great game that came down to the wire. And um, I've been disrespecting Green Bay all season long. I I didn't think they were a playoff team. I thought they were going to take a step back with Jordan Love at quarterback. And now it looks like he's probably going to get a huge raise. And he's going to become most likely the, the highest paid quarterback in the league. Yeah, uh... I had like three things written down. We, we were talking before we started recording about survive, you know, survival, survive in advance, uh, you know, survival in the championship games. So I said, put down San Francisco survived because I thought Matt LaFleur had probably now, again, you never know because the previous couple times they come in there with Rogers. So you, it's pretty much what Aaron's doing at the line of scrimmage. So you're not really sure what LaFleur's plan was, but obviously in this game, you could see what his plan was. You saw it, you know, and that's kind of what Jordan Love is doing. Young quarterback, he's not going to just come. Well, I have my own thoughts of what we should be doing offensively. I'm going to check to different things when I see different looks. So I thought that was a big thing. I wrote down Purdy, wet ball. It, you know, he had issues in Cleveland. You know, I think there was like one or two other times during the course of the season you could see struggles with it. And, you know, in, in mid play, I think one time, he like he was back in the pocket and he, he took the ball in his left hand, wiped his hand like on his jersey or on his on his pants, grabbed the ball and then and then threw it like it, it's kind of I don't want to say it's in his head. And maybe it has to do with hand size. And and we, we joke all the time at the combine when they measure these guys hands and they make such a big deal of it. You know, sometimes it is it is a deal. And in this case, I think it is. I mean, Troy Aikman famously could play, you know, cold, snow, no problem, wet ball, didn't want it. <laughs> just, just get it away from me. The other thing was Debo's health. You're absolutely right. It seems like San Francisco functions like a machine when all the parts are, are, are healthy and rolling, and especially if they get a lead. When something goes awry, now I don't know if this is a, a – Kyle's got like this pregame plan and – seems like i don't know if he's stubborn about making a ton of adjustments or whatever but it seems like that's kind of these are the plays i came up with this is what's going to work or is it not having the quarterback that can bring you back from seven points down so i mean there's your you know talk radio question is it is it the quarterback or is it kyle i don't i i don't have an answer for that but Owen 30 says a lot. So is it, you know, Jimmy, is it a Jimmy G thing? Is it, is it uh, a Purdy, Trey Lance, you know, name all the guys that, that they've had and gone through there. But um, other, Hey, they won the game. They were good enough to win. It wasn't pretty. Uh, everything in the playoffs. Can you convert on offense? Can you convert third and fourth downs? Do you score touchdowns in the red zone? You mentioned it. Green Bay failed in both those areas and missed a field goal on top of that. And every little thing gets magnified. And if you don't make those plays, it just comes back to bite you in the ass. And San Francisco made enough plays to win. And that's all that matters in the playoffs. There's no style points. We score one more point than you. We move on. You go home. So, uh, are you concerned about anything? Yeah, if it rains, if Debo can't play. But other than that, if they can if they've got all their their cylinders hitting, 
pistons pumping the whole thing it can get it gets pretty pretty uh awesome to watch because it's just like like i said a well-oiled machine whether it's mccaffrey and debo and iuk and kittle and anybody they throw they seem to throw at juan juan johnson my god man uh he was a beast. And then out of the blue, Chris Conley, who I didn't even know was in the league anymore, <laughs> makes a play. So that's playoff football. Somebody's got to step up in the big moments. And they had a couple of guys that did. And, and Green Bay, maybe because of youth, lack of experience, whatever it was, they didn't quite make the plays. But you can see that all those seeds are there. And they, they certainly can be a good team moving forward. And uh, they got to be excited. Hey, maybe they're three. They're going to be like the first franchise ever to go back to back to back with hitting on uh, big time quarterbacks. I'm worried. We'll talk about it a bit later, but I think the lines really match up well in a lot of key areas against the 49ers. And again, we'll do a preview later, but there are certain things that really worry me. And it goes a lot deeper than like Brock Purdy, you know, struggling against the Packers or the wet ball or Debo not playing. Yeah, there's there's some matchup areas that I think the Lions can exploit. Well, the three things I wrote down for Detroit, or I may maybe it's three and one, is just their weapons. And two of them are rookies, and they don't look like rookies. They look I mean, I you know, put it McCaffrey and Kittle obviously are made men and they're all timers. But in terms of talent and what they're doing for their individual teams, Laporta and Gibbs are every bit as good. And then you throw St. Brown into that. So anytime you can come on, come in with those types of weapons and the quarterback can be kept clean and he's making plays, that's a, that's going to be a difficult order for San Francisco to hit if they're not completely healthy. So I, I hear you there. But in that game against Tampa, I think that that was basically it is they had Tampa had no answers for those three guys. And it seemed like every time Goff needed something, one of those three guys was making a huge play. And, uh, you know, Mike Evans did as much as he could. Uh, Baker, I thought, played well for the most part. You know, the interception at the end, you can look at that and say, well, you know, there's a bad read. Maybe you didn't see the linebacker. I don't know. I mean, you could nitpick it to death. But to say, I guess on the outside looking in, that team overachieved. But I would imagine within the building, they're thinking, wait a second, we've got all these guys that have played in the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. No, we don't have Brady. And Baker's not even close to that. But it's not like we're you know, a, a collection of bad players. I mean, this is, this is a, a pretty good team. Again, a little older, a little bit more experienced. So maybe that's what kept them in this game. But uh, Detroit, it, again, those weapons is what, you know, I guess I would be fearful of, not fearful, but concerned or would have to game plan for if I'm the Niners. Well, you got to take away St. Brown. I guess that's easier said than done, but it seems like, he is the guy that, that Goff looks for in those critical situations. And I think that's something that he he looked for St. Brown during the, the Bucks game, especially in the second half. But the Lions offense took over in the second half. I think they, they trusted, I guess, you know, looking at their rushing numbers in the first half, they didn't really run the ball. They didn't really commit to it. But in the second half, you know, they went to the running game and Gibbs, you know, hit that. 31-yard run up the middle, and he took it, you know, the distance. And then, you know, the, the running game took over in the second half. But it was tied. You know, at halftime, it was tied, Lou. It was 10-10, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. And so the Bucks were in it the entire time. It's just like I think in the second half, they wore down the opponent. That offensive line wore down the Bucks' defense, plus the injuries. They also piled up for Tampa Bay. So I, I thought that was huge. You know, they were missing a lot of key players there in the fourth quarter. And uh, again, the running game took over. Goff was efficient. And like you said, Laporta and St. Brown making those plays for Detroit. So I am worried, even though the game is in San Francisco, 
I think this is going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, Jameer Gibbs is just a... I just remember watching him in Alabama last year, and I was like, "God, what you know? What could Andy Reid do with this guy?" Uh, I mean, he he would be like a Jamal Charles in that backfield, and he's you know he's had to split carries a ton. And no, but he was never going to be like a back that was going to carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. But if he get it, if he carries it like maybe 12 to 15 times, he's going to catch five or six passes as well. And he's going to have a huge impact on the game. He's, you know, uncoverable. He's just a matchup nightmare. You know, linebackers not going to be able to stay with him. Do you have to commit a safety to the guy? He's going to rip him to shreds too. More than likely, Hey, you could probably split him out. So, He's kind of Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, a much younger version. I don't speed wise. I would imagine it's fairly similar to when, you know, Christian came up. But I, I'm guessing Gibbs maybe a, a little bit faster. I don't know. 40 times. I don't know. I just watch him play and nobody's catching him if he gets in the open field. So that's a very exciting team. Uh, the key, again, is going to be Jared Goff. And can they keep him clean? Because as soon as, you know, he starts getting rushed a little bit, getting thrown off the spot, you see what happens to him. And it's, you know, it's historical. It's nothing against him. It's just kind of the way it is. But if he can sit back there in the pocket, he's as good as anybody dissecting defense and you know getting it to, to his playmakers Laporta you know he's playing with a knee brace which isn't ideal but he's still able to you know find those voids and zones he's able to beat linebackers he he's just a, a killer an absolute assassin in the red zone it just seems like he's always open it's just a matter of getting get the ball anywhere near him so uh it's an exciting team to watch defensively obviously they've got their flaws especially in the back end so again both teams you know not near not perfect there's no perfect teams right now but that should be just a great great offensive matchup to me i it looks like that could be a very high scoring game well, we'll see. I mean, both teams definitely know how to score. I think the 49ers will definitely have have a chip on their shoulder, and they realize that they can take advantage of that Detroit Lions defense, especially in the secondary. Buffalo, Kansas City, right, Low. I mean, it's the, the last game on the docket. It seems mm-hmm. to be always the last game on the docket that we talk about. The Chiefs are always like the last game that we talk about. So you have the floor, my friend. Go ahead. Well, what I had written down here was culture 15. <laughs> and that's kind of what what won the game is. And then, of course, the the Bills defense being fairly depleted, uh, you know, with, with previous injuries, injuries during the game. And then the Chiefs lost like three or four guys during the course of the game, too. So that's kind of. Uh, you know, the advantage of being the one seed is you don't have to play that extra game. So because, again, that's the other part of the playoffs is it's a game of attrition. You're going to lose some guys. And Buffalo had some on their side and the Chiefs got some in game. But I think that the difference was just the fact that they've been on these runs over the last six seasons. Uh, the fabric of the of the team has kind of been built you know even though the, the they're f- fairly young on the defensive side of the ball most of those guys were starting or playing significant snaps during the course of last year's playoffs in the Super Bowl so as as ugly as it was coming into the season and I, I'm I'm sorry not coming into the season but going through the season with all the drops and there's no rhythm on the offense and it's clunky and and this and that at the end of the day, they have, you know, the coaching staff, the veteran players that can kind of, I don't want to say flip a switch, but at very least they can get a little more focus. The focus in the playoffs is laser. They've been there. They know what it takes and they were able to do it. I thought Josh Allen played a nearly perfect game to me until the end until the end of the game he got a little loose but you know you mentioned it before before we came on you know Diggs makes that catch or you know if he I don't know if it was Chris Jones bothering him on that play at the end where he missed the guy open in the end zone 
or he just, you know, expected the guy to come back towards the ball. I don't know. But other than that, I mean, he was a handful to, to just deal with. And it mostly with his legs. And you had mentioned Lamar earlier. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's concerning, you know, I mean, the, uh, a much different type of runner, a lot more speed being elusive where Josh is just going to, you know, long striding and just going to run right through you. You can't, he's just so big. It's hard to tackle him. But uh, in terms of the, the chief side is they were able now, again, red zone wasn't perfect, but they scored enough points. Um, and, you know, they made the plays when they had to. They were gifted a, a possession at the, what, 25 or 30-yard line when the fake punt didn't work out. But they ended up giving it right back at, uh, with the fumble through the end zone. But, uh, again, I mean, this is Kansas City-Buffalo. It seems like every time they play, it comes down to the last possession or at very least the last minute or two or sometimes even the last 13 seconds. But uh, just uh, – a lot of easier breathing. Uh, my my daughter learned a lot more about my vocabulary uh, on the McCole Hardman play. Not so much that he fumbled it, but they came back to that play after they ran it in the first half, and he fumbled. Then they were luckier, you know, to to get that back. I can't I can't remember who recovered it. I don't know if it was one of the linemen or somebody recovered the ball, but. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if Pacheco came, you know, took himself out of the game because the first thing I say is, well, geez, you know, Rasheed Rice is in the backfield. Something, something's up here. And they kind of used him as like on a fake. And I was like, why are you giving it to the guy that's like 175 pounds soaking wet going sideways? And he's got to turn up into the into traffic. He's going to get hit. You know, he, he has issues on punts sometimes, whether he catches it. So anyway, that I, I lost it a little bit that, you know, during that little sequence. And it wasn't so much on McColl. I think it was the first time I really questioned a play call by Andy Reid just doing that in that situation. So anyway, I was pretty happy at the end of the game, Alex. So There's one phrase that I wrote down here in my notes. It consists of. Three words. Lou was right. That's what I uh, that's what I wrote down when it came to this game. And here's here's what you were right about. Um, I do listen to you, Lou. I do listen to you. And Thanks. when I when I when I started when I started recapping the game and, and I watched it, uh, I watched tape of it like after the fact, uh, the rewind. Uh, the Chiefs' cornerbacks allowed only four catches for 28 yards in this game. And although Legereus Sneed gave up that lone touchdown, I don't think he's given up a touchdown before that, but that's still a very low number. I realize that Gabe Davis didn't play. I realize that they didn't have the, the guy that torched the Chiefs last time. He went over for like 200 yards. But still, corners really stepped up. And you talked about it all year long. And I love our secondary. I love those cornerbacks. They come to play. They compete. Another thing that really stood out, and you mentioned that as well, going into the matchup, you said there's something going on with Stephon Diggs. And you know what? With Gabe Davis being out and the fact that Josh Allen was going to be looking in his direction, he only caught three passes for 21 yards. He was targeted eight times. And he had that big drop, you know, and that deep pass that was thrown perfectly, in my opinion. I mean, that's as, as good of a ball that you can throw 60 yards downfield. And that's what you're paid to do. So I don't think it's crazy that the Bills might try to cut Stefan Diggs in the offseason. He might not be with the team next year. You know, he's a bit of a prima donna. They ran him out of Minnesota. He's had some rumblings out there in Buffalo supposedly maybe he doesn't get along with Josh Allen. There's something going on there. So I think he might not be wearing, you know, the Buffalo Bills jersey next season. And another thing that really killed me, Lou, that I didn't think was possible, I thought the Bills would be able to put pressure on Patrick Mahomes. For the most part, the offensive line kept them clean. They gave him a lot of time to throw. And he, you know, in, in perfect Mahomes you know, fashion, he 
When you give him like five or six seconds to throw, of course he's going to find Travis Kelsey. Of course he's going to find, you know, and even a good secondary. He's going to pick you apart. And that's what he did. You had to be able to get home. You had to like, you know, get pressure in his face. And that's something they didn't do. The offensive line, I thought, did a really good job with that. Considering that, you know, the Bills defensive line didn't play too bad you know, coming into this game. And they had some players there, but, you know, they won the game in the trenches. That's what it came down to. You can't give Mahomes that much time to throw. I hope the Ravens are watching the tape. The Bills weren't able to get home. I'm sure Baltimore is going to have a different game plan come, you know, come Sunday. Yeah, there wasn't a single sack in the game either side. I mean, that that was one of the most remarkable uh, stats, you know, th- that you can look at in that game. <laughs> and I think there was only like seven called penalties, which is which is good. I mean, you don't want to see, you know, flag fest, especially in a, you know, in a game like that. Um, didn't I mean, and that was, the I guess, the one thing that. Because so many regular season games, even the big one, the teams, you know, between teams are really, you know, at the, at the top of the league, you, it seemed like you always came away talking about some crazy call that a ref made or, or this was off or that was off. And there wasn't any of that. So uh, no excuses for either team. I, again, Alan, that throw that he made to Shakir, you talked about Sneed getting beat for the first time for a touchdown this season that was as good a throw as you'll see, you know, moving to his left, putting it like right at the pylon. I mean, there was no way it was either Shakir or nobody catches it. And it, he couldn't, I mean, he couldn't help but catch that ball. It was, it was so well thrown. Uh, and you see, like you said, the one that to Diggs was probably equally as thrown, just a different type of throw because it was like a rocket launch. But, uh, yeah, something's got to be figured. I don't know what's happening there, uh, you know, because most of the, the throws that he's been catching for most of the year has been, you know, close to the line of scrimmage, not a ton downfield. He had the one against Miami. I think we talked about it last week, and it was, you know, kind of, okay, <laughs> you know, that was one. But not like you're going to go deep on every play, but, you know, some intermediate stuff, some things, you know, maybe running away from the defense, getting, you know, getting some yak uh, uh, out, of, out of the play. So, yeah, I don't know what it is, if it's mental, physical combination of the two, but it just seemed like something has gone off there. Uh, Kincaid, I thought, had a decent game. I thought it might he might be a little bit better. I mean, obviously – they took him ahead of Laporta, and we see what Laporta is doing in Detroit. So I, I thought Kincaid would have a, a much bigger uh, impact on that offense, but I don't know if it's a Josh thing. I don't know if it's a Dalton thing. So they'll let, they got a lot, a lot to figure out there in Buffalo. But um, yeah, hey, it's a playoff game. They only win by three. Uh, they could have put the game away. They didn't. And meeting the Chiefs there at the end, they could have gone up by ten. Uh, but here we are, and it's championship uh, weekend. The Chiefs are back there, sixth in a row, which is crazy. I think it's tied for the record. Uh, got I got to believe New England did it at least once, but uh, just that it, it in the moment it's hard. It, it's hard to even think about because you know since Patrick started started, you know it's not it's like unprecedented, but you know, each year you, it's like, now you, it's like a drug. It's like, this is like almost on a, we get to this point at least, right. This is what you should do, but you can't take it for granted. It isn't that easy. And uh, I'm just really enjoying this part of my chief's fandom because there were many years where it was like by week, you know, whatever, two, two, three weeks left in the season, you'd start, I'm starting to look at the draft, who's free agents, what are we doing? Is the coach staying? Is the coach going? So uh, anyway, I'll stop talking about the Chiefs now, Alex, but thank you. Let's talk about the coaching hires. <laughs> I mean, obviously there's some, uh, you know, the, there, there has been, you know, some movement there. The offensive three guys, coordinator. Three guys in place, right? Pierce, right. Callahan, and Mayo. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, it was expected that Gerard Mayo was going to take that head coaching job after, 
you know, Bill Belichick moved on. Then, obviously, Antonio Pierce did a lot of great work with the Raiders down the stretch after, you know, the guy I don't want to mention on this show failed so miserably. So, and now Callahan, you know, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, the guy who had success, you know, developing Joe Burrow, uh, he goes to the Titans. But I do feel like the Titans are downgrading here, Lou. So you have Vrabel. Uh, and you go with the young offensive coordinator here who you believe could develop one of those young quarterbacks, whether, whether it's Willis, most likely it's Levis. But uh, the truth is, I mean, that's what they're banking on here. But it, it is a downgrade. You get rid of Rabel and you bring in Callahan. That's, you know, that's a tough one. I, you know, it was guys of a certain... Um stature in the league like a Mike Vrabel that he is very I mean I don't know that there's many detractors about what you know what he does and what he's been able to do whether as a coordinator in Houston as a head coach uh in Tennessee so it's it's a power thing right I mean you get to a certain point and then they kind of didn't work out real well with the first with with the first GM that kind of ended poorly. Then you bring in Rand Carthon and he's seeing, you know, again, and I've probably said this a hundred times on the show and I'm repeating myself, but just the look on his face, because they happen, you know, the team cam or whatever, when they announced the AJ Brown trade, it was almost as if he had no idea that AJ Brown was even in play during the draft and it just i mean it just looked like this exasperated look like so i think it was partly they fired him partly he wanted out and they didn't kind of they didn't really frame it one way or the other but uh it, it is interesting in terms of callahan it's a little bit different we're now i think he, he doesn't have the gravitas at this point that a Vrabel would have so He's going to work with the GM. I mean, it's going to be like, you know, they hope that it, that it that it works well. And I think him being a first time head coach, he's going to do everything he can to make it work well. And, you know, obviously Carthon's there before him, so he better or he, he'll he be the one look, looking for work at some point. But he's, again, very highly regarded around the league. I mean, obviously, you know, Cincinnati has got a, a very good offensive football team. Now you can say it's the players. You can say it's Zach Taylor, whatever. But this guy's kind of a, a legacy as well. His dad, you know, famous offensive line coach, head coach. Uh, you know, for for the Raiders, brought them to the Super Bowl. You know, so and he, I think he coached in Nebraska as well. So I mean, he's it's it's in his blood, so to speak. So I I don't know if it's a downgrade. It's certainly a much different flavor because now you've got an offensive coach, young quarterback, and I think that's kind of you know a pretty prevalent recipe across the league now again it's worked in some cases you know and it i think it depends on the coach you know mcveigh is kind of he was like the first one and everybody's kind of trying to recreate that maybe there's only one sean mcveigh so again this could just be a failed hey let's do the same thing that that these guys did so uh yeah, I, it, 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 we'll see. The proof is in the pudding. I mean, the team's going to completely change. I think Derrick Henry's gone, so that whole culture is going to ch change completely. So we'll just have to wait and see. But it is an, an interesting one with all these other names uh, you know, available. But with most teams are doing their due diligence because you've got Belichick, you've got Pete Carroll, you've got Vrabel, you've got Harbaugh, and they're just waiting. I mean, the Falcons had their second interview with Belichick. Uh, it's it's out there. The report is out. And still, Atlanta is taking their sweet time and trying to interview as many you know head coaching candidates as possible. And I realized that you know we've got these hot coordinators in the playoffs, and you know it's tough to interview them. You've got to bring them in, you know, through a Zoom call. So uh, I'm sure once these guys are out of the playoffs, that's when teams can meet with them personally face-to-face, -face. but I'm still surprised that 
with so right. many coaches that have been successful in this league, that have won Super Bowls, that have guided their teams to the numerous playoff uh, victories, that they're still out there. And we're getting a guy like Brian Callahan, with all due respect, becoming you know the first head coach um, in you know in this coaching carousel. Because I'm not counting you know Antonio Pierce. <laughs> And I'm not doing the same thing with Jared, Jared Mayo because right. they, they basically got promoted. They were there. They were they were in the building, right? And obviously Pierce was on the sideline for most of that, and Mayo was an assistant. You know, so yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I, I was, you know, reading. I think Ben Johnson had three Zoom interviews on Saturday before before their uh, before their playoff game, which is just insane. But I don't know. Game plan is well, you know, done, you know, bow tie the whole thing, but 24 hours before the game, well before that. But, you know, the fact that he's doing that while preparing for, you know, the biggest game in Detroit's history, you know, that he's having his Zoom calls. But again, there's, there's money is a big part of this too. Obviously, Callahan isn't going to command the salary that or the control that some of these made guys are going to command. Uh, you know, Belichick, I think, I, you know, they call him interviews. You know, Bill Belichick isn't interviewing. I mean, he's interviewing uh blank as much as blank is interviewing him and i think the second meeting i mean this is kind of a, a negotiation of uh terms not so much the financial aspect of it but who's gonna run what you know they hired terry fontenot a couple a few years ago from uh new orleans in their front office and he was like one of the hottest names out there to be a gm I don't think they're all of a sudden going to say, well, you know what, Terry, just kind of stand off to the side for a few years while Bill runs the runs our franchise further into the ground. I don't know that that's going to come up. So that that's the other part of it is money. So, but you know, the due diligence, Hey, if Belichick all of a sudden pulls and doesn't, doesn't want the job where some of these younger guys, I mean, they're like, Hey, if you offer it to me, I'm taking it. Belichick, I think, you know, it's more of a negotiation. Well, you know, what am I willing to give up? What are you going to give me? These are some things I have to have. You know, is it the fact that, hey, I'm bringing Josh McDaniel. They got to be good with that. Hey, Matt Patricia is still out there. He's probably going to be the defensive coordinator. So, you know, you're going to have to be good with that. So there's a lot of things that these so quote unquote made guys bring with them. I think Vrabel, the only one that's been reported is I think he had a meeting with the chargers. Now Harbaugh's supposed either had the second meeting or going to have a second meeting with them. And again, Harbaugh's the same thing. It's not just you're bringing him in and you're going to offer him a job and it's just like a, an easy transaction. He's it's a whole thing. It's like, He's a great culture builder, but you better be on board with his culture because that's what you're getting. You know, it's, there's not going to be any, well, we'll change this. No, 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 no. From, you know, whatever it's you know, nutrition, his staff, how we're going to play, what we're, you know, what, how we're going to practice, you know, everything. You, you got to be on, on board with the whole uh, Jim Harbaugh experience. Whereas, like, again, with these younger guys, it might be quicker because, hey, Here's your con here's the contract. Here's what we're offering you and everything else. Is yes, good. That's it. Hired, done. Uh, but with these other guys, Pete Carroll, I haven't heard one thing, one peep, you know, that he's been talked to by anyone. Uh, we talked a little bit about chargers in the LA market, which to me just seemed to be like a natural. Uh, Raheem Morris is a name that keeps coming up as well. Uh, David Shaw, I think, is one of the most interesting ones. And I think I'm pretty sure he's been on he's been on either um, both Harbaugh's staffs at the Ravens with John at Stanford with Jim. So if he's really looking to get back in, if he doesn't get one of these head coaching jobs, which he probably won't, I could see him being on Jim Harbaugh's staff. What you know, you can call it offensive line, you can call it offensive coordinator, you can call it all of the above, uh, whatever. Uh, head, you know, assistant head coach that's a guy that I would want on my staff for sure. He just seems like a very smart guy, been around the block, coached, you know, success, successful at Stanford for the most part. 
was highly regarded as an NFL assistant. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's interesting, but it, yes, it is going very slow for sure. Cause Carolina is like interviewing. It seems like every day, Washington, Seattle haven't heard too much. You, you'd think that would be like Dan Quinn's job to lose. Uh, seems like it would be more the same, you know, in terms of a, a Pete Carroll type guy. But uh, yeah, that's the name that, that that keeps coming up there. All right, let's uh, preview the the conference championship games. Let, let's get to it. All right, first games first: Kansas City at Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> that's that's the problem right there. What do you what do you do? What what is the game plan? You talked about you know how. Uh, you know, D'Amico Ryans didn't have any answer. No, obviously you have to have the horses. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, and I don't want to sound like a homer, but I'm pretty sure the Chiefs have a, a, just a little bit more talent, a lot, actually a lot more talent on, on their defensive side of the ball. More experienced guys that have done it before, obviously been in the playoffs. So that's, you know, we, we've hit on all that. But do you, you know, do you spy? They had a lot of these questions to answer against against buffalo and you know he said josh still you know had his plays you know making plays with his legs but it wasn't enough to really take them out of the game with lamar it's so much more the speed and being elusive it's a different type of run because if he gets in the open field that's as dangerous as any wide receiver or running back in the league getting loose in your defense and that could you know that could go 80 yards anytime you know, anytime he touches the ball, he's a threat to go the distance. So, you know, again, so is it a spy? Is it, you know, and, and again, it's spag. So there's going to be a combination, you know, maybe one down, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a spy. Maybe on passing downs, they'll have two spies. Just try to keep him in the pocket and force him. He's shown that he can beat you that way, but I think you probably take your chances on the DBs making some plays in the back rather than your linebackers trying to chase down this alien. So, uh, I think that's going to be the key on on defense. Offensively, I think uh, the Chiefs are just going to do what the Chiefs do. I don't I don't know that it really matters who they're playing against. Uh, so the recipe is is looks like is going to continue to to be what it's been the last few games. They're going to run it a little bit more than they than they have in the past. Uh, they're going to use a lot of twelve and thirteen personnel and try to exploit. Uh, exploit the defenses, especially the linebackers, you know, kind of, you got to put queen and Roquan Smith in conflict. Otherwise they will, they're just going to swallow you up. So maybe that, that that's the way they'll do it with Noah gray uh, with uh, the belldozer. And then obviously trying to get Kelsey loose on, on some of those uh, underneath routes. But uh, yeah, hopefully you know, MVS can make a couple more plays down the field. Uh, we'll see if Kadarius Tony is, is is healthy if they get him back. Uh, hopefully Rice is you know he looks like he looked a little gimpy uh, the other night, but if he's okay, you know obviously he's going to have even though he's a rookie, uh, not a rookie anymore, no, not this late in the season. They they rely on him so. You know, you probably have to see him catch six, seven balls as well and try to keep the ball out of uh, Lamar's hands. So I think that's the recipe on either side of the ball. And uh, don't make any mistakes. I know who you're picking in this game. I mean, you picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. So obviously you're they're not going to go against They're getting team. three and a half. <laughs> you can't. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, even if you're. It's Mahomes. Even if yeah. they were getting seven or something, or even if they were like <laughs> minus seven, there's no way you would go against them. I mean, it's still. You're abs- you are absolutely right, Alex. I tell you, that's why I don't pick on or against them during the regular season because it's just, it, it, it at the, just the way they play and everything else, it, it doesn't matter, right? I, it's I, I don't I don't need that. But there's only three games left in the NFL season, so yeah, we're gonna pick them. And yeah, I'm picking the Ravens low. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't care. The line is what three and a half, right? Right three now, three and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm picking Baltimore. It's an elite defense. It's the number one rushing offense in the regular season. That's hard to stop. If you ask me what the Chiefs have to do, they have to stop the run. 
easier said than done, but they have to make Lamar Jackson one-dimensional. You have to let him throw because, I mean, your strength is your secondary, your cornerbacks. You have to let him become a passer full-time. So, you know, when when you put those things together and then you've got Lamar Jackson who is going to be an, an MVP winner, I don't know. That's a really tough order. It's one thing to beat the Buffalo Bills, which I didn't think they would be able to do, but they did on the road. Now you have to go to Baltimore, and the defense is just scary. Uh, the Ravens are healthy. Low. That, that's also another huge part in all of this. And, uh, yeah, the, it, again, I've seen the Chiefs Yeah, there's a, ch- there's a chance Mark, like An- of course. Mark Andrews plays this week. So that's, you know, that's big for Lamar, for sure. I just can't imagine, like, Travis Kelsey going off against the Baltimore Ravens the way he was running free against the Buffalo Bills. I just, I, I don't expect that. I think they're going to bracket him. They're going to take him away. And then they would say, hey, MVS, beat us. Okay, Rasheed Rice, let's see what you got. I, I just think that... I wouldn't have trust in that. They wouldn't. It's almost like a Bill Belichick thing. Mike McDonald is not going to allow Travis Kelsey to run free and catch all those passes the way he did against the Buffalo Bills. It's Coach Reed. It's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I don't know. I I think I said it on our our Chiefs show at the beginning of the playoffs. And... uh, I went back to the uh, 90, I think it was the 94, 95 or 95, 96 Houston Rockets repeated like in 94 and then the following year. Well, the first year they I think they beat the Knicks in the finals. And then the fi- the next year, they were like the sixth seed coming into the NBA playoffs. They hadn't played well the whole season. And it was just something was off. It was some injuries. But, you know, they still had Hakeem. They still had, you know, Vernon Maxwell and Sam Cassell and Kenny. You know, they had like they they had the core of their team. And when they won it, Rudy T famously said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. And that's kind of what I'm believing right now is that it's just in their DNA. Now I get it. I think Baltimore probably, you know, is, is playing much better when they're clicking on all cylinders, they crush everybody in the league and they've shown it, they've done it. So uh, from that perspective, but again, you can't carry that with you. It's a, it's a one, it's a one day thing. You got to be ready to rock and roll right away and they haven't quite shown that yet. You know, we talked about that earlier, Baltimore. Now, again, they've got the one game under their belt uh, because they, you know, they had the bye. So maybe there was a little bit of rust. But but again, you know, they they got to get off to that, that good start. So, again, if the Chiefs play mistake-free football, they don't turn it. Now, when I say mistake-free, they don't turn it over. And they and they don't have to convert every red zone uh, possession as a touchdown. But if they do, but if they get more touchdowns than they do field goals, then I feel very confident that they can certainly win this game. Again, one game tournament. I get it. It's in Baltimore, but I think that's actually fueled this team a little bit. Like, Hey, you've never done this before. You've never, you've never had a road playoff game. Okay. Well now they have, and they won it. So now here's another, here's a championship game. All your championship games are in Arrowhead. Well, not this year. So I think it's, you know, that chip and the championship fabric. I don't know, Alex. It just, I got a feeling. That's all. all. There is no chip. You have the best player in football. You're talking like it's the greatest underdog story did you watch, on the face but, of but the did, earth. I mean, what did you, you wa- did you watch the last dance? Lou, come on. Did you watch did you watch the last dance? No, I didn't because I okay. didn't want to stomach, so, you know, Michael Jordan <laughs> as much as I love so, him. So I just Jordan, don't want to stomach. Again, I mean, he's the greatest player in the world, but it seemed like on a regular basis he was looking for any little slight and sometimes he had to make them up just to get him even more motivated and even more, you know, like show that competitive nature and if they see one speck were like this one spec. Hey, yeah, you, you win all the time, but hey, you've never done it on the road. 
now all of a sudden, hey, there's something we're going to rally around this. And that's what te- that's what you have to do, Whoa. especially to continue the winning. Alex, I'm telling you, you've got the best player in the it. NFL, Lou. You're talking Absolutely. about like this is the greatest, you know, upset in the history in the and world. The Chiefs can win. The road. Can win. They're yeah. underdogs. Alex. They are Super Bowl <laughs> champions, Lou. They're defending champions. They're still defending their crown. Give me a break. We're you can say about, whatever you want. This is like, narrative, this, the narrative pick, is out there. The now, team Lou, is rallying around this. Lou, <laughs> if you pick the Lions against the 49ers, that would be like a great story. The Lions, who haven't won a playoff game in like the longest well, gonna, time, you know, here they are, go to the Super Bowl. That's one thing. I may, on. I may pick San Francisco just because that was my Super Bowl pick before the season. Uh, was Kansas City and San Francisco, right. but it's a seven, it's a seven point spread. Do I think Purdy is going to have another game like that? It doesn't. I mean, again, I don't. We're I don't know how many five days away, six days or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know what the forecast is. I'm going to guess that it's probably not going to rain as hard as it did this past week. So that shouldn't be an issue. I think this maybe was a little bit of a wake up call for San Francisco if they were, you know, just rusty or just, you know, hadn't played in a, in a while. You know, so maybe that they had to shake that out. So I don't feel comfortable giving seven points in this in this uh, spot. But I'm going to do it just because I think that they're just too good for this. They're they're much better than what they showed last week. And I just think that Detroit has been a great story. And I got it would just be unbelievable if they won that game and went to the Super Bowl. I mean, this. Uh, this Lake Erie, Lake Erie region, you know, having a couple of teams, actually all three teams were in the playoffs with Buffalo and Cleveland are out. Detroit's still in it. Uh, would go a little nutty. Not, you know, not as nutty as Cleveland fans would be, but uh, you know how that goes. This team is so different when Debo doesn't play. And I think we, we saw yeah. that in the regular yep. season. When he was out, they struggled in October. And a lot of people asked that question, like, What's going on with San Francisco? Well, he came back and they got on a roll. They, you know, they won every game. So this depends on if Debo plays, this team is different. This team is clicking on all cylinders, even if he's not 100%. I do agree with you that Purdy and the 49ers, they can't struggle for the second straight week. Like against the Packers, the he didn't click. They, they didn't play well. They didn't cover. Uh, but I, I talked about it, why this is a bad matchup. The Lions rushing attack, they can run on the 49ers. They can control the clock. They can eat that clock, okay? We've struggled against some elite tight ends in this season, and I think Sam Laporta can, can also have success in the middle of the field. The offensive line for the Lions is really good. I mean, they're, they keep that pocket clean for Jared Goff. They've done a really good job. And I, I love what Brad Holmes has done. I mean, he has built up the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line. And people are going, oh, the Lions are winning. This is your formula for how you win football games. This is your formula how you build uh, your team. You build in the remember, trenches. Remember, like all the vitriol they they took for their first their uh, their picks this past year, Take, taking Gibbs and Campbell right. in the first round, and Laporta in the second. Like, what what are they doing? And here you go, <laughs> they're they're the nucleus of a team. But when you build your team in the trenches, and when you feel comfortable there on the offensive line and the defensive line, you can get the shiny new toys. And that's what Gibbs and Campbell and Laporta were, like players that they believe can help their team. So, And I also feel like the Lions' defensive line is playing well. Hutchinson is getting after it. He's proving that he should have been the number one overall pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, they're lucky to have him here. I I wrestled with this a little. We, we've done this podcast for about an hour. Uh, heading into it, I was going to take the under. But I'm going to take the over, Lou, just because I feel like the 49ers cannot, <clears throat> they can't struggle the way they, you know, they did against the Packers. I think they're going to come out firing. I, I think they're going to cover that that spread. So I'll take the minus seven as well. 
All right. So, Even though, like, it would have been so you nice weren't going. To go so when you say over under, I'm looking at the total. So you, that's not what you were referring to, then, right? No, I'm taking the the minus seven. I'm taking okay. the, the 49ers okay. because minus that seven. that number is actually 51. That's a, that's a pretty big number in a playoff game. Uh, and just so you you all know, listening, uh, and, you, know, you can look this up. It's readily available. But the Chiefs Ravens uh, total is 44 and a half. So I don't really have, you know, a thought either way on that. Um, Alex, I think you were trying to talk me into Detroit. You almost had me like flip flipping my pick here. <laughs> you gave me every reason that Detroit's going to hang in this game. You can uh, flip it. Go ahead. You can I flip don't th- it. No, I don't think I'm, I'm going to. I don't know. I've stuck with my guns all year. I, I, I thought these were going to be the two best teams coming in. Uh, I think maybe Baltimore is, uh, you know, probably one of the two best teams. I, I, you know, it's hard for me to say that. I just don't think they're going to win this game. They might be the better team, but somehow, some way, whether it's a, you know, Reed scheme uh, or Spagnolo comes up with something something that just confuses the hell out out of Lamar and and Todd Munkin, uh, or they just can't, you know, they just can't find a way to exploit it. Uh, Some, I just, I just feel it. So I'm going to stick with those two teams. Now, again, as we record, it's Tuesday, we have no idea, you know, injury reports are, you know, a few days off. All we're seeing right now is Debo is 50, 50. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the most important bit of information, which really surprises me that line being as high as it is, right? I mean, you think, you know, the way Detroit has played and kind of, you know, won those two games at home and they're showing that, hey, you know, we can win playoff games, that it might be a little tighter than that, like four, five, seven, you know, that, that surprised me a little bit. Well, that means there's going to be action on the lines. I'm almost certain of it. And by the time we get to well, we'll see if the Sunday, line comes down. If like... the line comes down, yeah, I, I would imagine there's, you know, for the regular, I guess just the typical betting public, you know, that's like cheering for the story, that the underdog. There's going to be some lines money. We'll see who where the big money is. If the line doesn't move, that tells me the wise guys are betting San Francisco. If it's the other way, if it starts coming down, then that tells me that maybe Detroit is who the wise guys are after, but. They're not always right. Come on. As I was listening to Lou's preview of the Ravens versus the Chiefs, there's one movie that really came to mind, okay? It's the first Rocky movie, Lou. It's almost like Apollo Creed against, you know, Rocky Balboa. Yeah, and it's like the greatest upset of all time if he can take him out. It's like the Chiefs are, I don't know. I mean, he's hyping him up. I, I, well, I don't you know gotta if give you the recall, pep talk. Rocky, you got to give Rocky, the pep talk. Rocky, Rocky didn't win that one. <laughs> I know he didn't, but he's just, you got to, that's, he that's also distance. my point. He that's also my point that I was driving home. <laughs> but I mean, that's also part of it. I did watch the movie plenty of times, but I mean, it's just, it's almost like they got to get you into that locker room to give that pep talk because I don't think Andy, Andy Reed is going to fire him up the way you did. And the I think that pep talk would sound a lot more like Jimmy Johnson giving the pep talk to the Cowboys at halftime I, when they were losing. I also, I, just, I also, uh, one of, <laughs> one of my lines, I don't know, maybe people that are parents of a certain age out there, uh, if your kids watch The Lion King as, as often as mine did. But uh, when Mufasa spoke to young Simba and, you know, from the clouds, from the heavens, telling, looking down on him and in that only James Earl Jones voice, and I'm not even going to pretend to do it, but basically he said, remember who you are. And that's what I'm telling the Chiefs is that he just remember who you are whatever whoever's on the other side they haven't accomplished nearly what you have in the last few years so just remember who you are and also again rudy t's don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion and that's i'll leave it at that alex lou has been a fan of the chiefs i'm not gonna even let the cat out of the bag for 
for a long, long time. Oh, no, we can say it. 1971. Okay, it's, you know, 53 years or so. You do the math, young people out there. That's over 50 years out there. Uh, The one thing that I want to say is he deserves to be in that locker room. You know, he's getting older, and he's got to be in that locker room right there. He can deliver a really fiery speech to the team. So, Andy Reid, I know you're listening to the show. Let's get my boy out there, okay, in that locker room to to feel that atmosphere. He's got to be in there. Conference championship game, Super Bowl, come on. There's no bigger fan that I know and uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's Lou. There we go. Us against, us against the world. We're underdogs. They, they, they're saying you're not good enough. Come on. They're giving us points. We're on the road. Who are these guys? Let's go. Come on, Alex. We got this. I love it. I love it. It's just like a a true head coach (laughs) in the NFL, like a like a Bill Parcells. Yeah, maybe not even. Yeah, let's not get carried away. It wasn't like an Academy Award winning thing or I would get uh, maybe one of those speeches that Denzel gave and remember the Titans. That would be a good one. All right, gang. So this is it. We've reached championship weekend. There's only three games left in the NFL. But of course, uh, we'll continue to cover the NFL throughout the the entire year. Every week we'll have uh, college previews. You've probably already listened to uh, some some of the player interviews, college players that are prepping for the NFL draft that we've posted. Uh, free agency, the draft, everything, these coaching hires. So we're here for you all the time. So go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss anything. For my pal Alex, I'm Lou. Till next time. Mm-hmm.